This is the Zero Downside Podcast brought to you by MoabTexas.com. Welcome to another episode, guys, on the Zero Downside. We have Dr. Wade McKenna and Mike Mitchell again today, and we are going to be discussing what separates us from the rest in our clinic, our techniques, and our technology. Well, I'm really excited, so let's start it off. Mike, would you like to take us for the first step? Absolutely. Hannah, thank you so much for the introduction. And as always, we're excited to be able to bring content to you, uh, both patients, prospective patients, and just interested listeners and viewers. Um, I'm excited about the topic today. It's one that we hear uh, a lot of times in the clinic, and it and it, it brings value in that it's a resource for patients. And we want to put this out there so that you can enjoy the full patient experience with Dr. Wade McKenna. You can understand what goes on, the processes, what it takes to be able to deliver uh, the product and the knowledge that he's able to do. And so with that, I'll uh, lean over to Dr. McKenna and let him kick us off with uh, a discussion about uh, the three T's, or is it four today? Uh, it, it, well, it's, it, it's one giant one for sure. Right? <laughs> I like that. Um, uh, I think that when when we talk about um, and well, and, and honestly, some of what separates us um, is is just the origin of the thought processes to know why this is even necessary, why this is even developed into uh, a, almost a separate branch of medicine it, when you talk about the biologic, biologics. I, I hate the term regenerative medicine because oh, the same thing that happened to sports medicine happened to regenerative medicine. Um, people start misapplying it, over-applying it, and then it becomes a junk term that almost seems hokey again. In the beginning, regenerative medicine didn't seem hokey. Uh, just like in the beginning, sports medicine meant you were specialized in sports. Now you have you know, every branch of medicine from physical therapists to um, chiropractors to family practice doctors to radiologists to internal medicine to orthopedic surgery, talking about sports medicine is their emphasis. So all of a sudden it doesn't mean anything anymore. It doesn't mean that you have a, a tear. I think the same things happen to regenerative medicine because you have a lot of people talking about regenerative medicine that aren't doctors. Um, they're, they're nutritionists and things like that, which are fine. Mm. Um, because I think that most of what we do is based on, you know, if I get you nutritionally and hormonally optimized, everything we do works better. Uh, and so I agree with all that. But I do think that, you know, I think that the, the biologics are really the kind of what we want to focus on. And that's been kind of the crush of the development that of the science behind everything we do is based on structure and function. How's your body work? How do we optimize function and make you do a better job with some more non-traditional um, technology that is some of the most, the quickest changing technology in the medical industry. And the fact that the, the growth and surge in the development and betterment of the processes is so much faster being absorbed into the market than than a lot of traditional medicine where you're still doing something the same way you have for for 30 years there's nothing in the biologics that needs to be done the same way it was being done five years ago right i mean i think that the technology curve is so straight up right now with biologic medicine and the biologic applications that that's really the difference between our clinic now and my clinic as an orthopedic surgeon before and most people's clinics that talk about 
stem cells, but really don't understand structure, function, biology, and, and surgical anatomy. Excellent. Well, I, I appreciate you you kicking us off with that. I do want to go ahead and dive into uh, the first of our, our three T's and, and let's have a discussion about the technology. You know, what really what got you started with with the graphs that you choose, the, the bone marrow that, that we're going to be discussing today and, and other forms of technology? So let, uh, let's I, just kick off there. All right. So here, here's the cool part is I think that the that all of this technology started and ended with ease of access to the bone marrow stem cell. Mm -hmm. um, so without making that process easier and less painful and less what in medicine, there's a term called morbidity, right? And what you want is the lowest morbid process available, meaning it doesn't stand a chance of hurting you, making you sick. Morbidity is complications and, and, and sickness, not being well. And so when we talk about the um, biologics or stem cells with bone marrow, it was, it was to reduce the morbidity of all the other things we're doing. But if that process in and of itself is really painful or destructive, we needed to find a way to do that first. And that began with a lot of my work on developing the bone marrow harvest catheter that we use so that we created a really minimally invasive, pretty well non-painful long-term kind of process to be able to get marrow, but also that obtains quality graphs. So the problem with most of the techniques out there that cause a lot of pain and morbidity is that they also didn't get the highest quality graph. There's a, there's a process in the human body called platelet activation. If you initiate platelet activation, your body does a really good job of hiding some of those cells and not letting go of them. The body wants to use those stem cells for a rainy day, right? It gets mm -hmm. trying to, it, it, as you get a little older, and I'm not saying I'm a little older than both not of you. Um, maybe not even added together, maybe. Oh, gut check. Um, I think that um, for me, it's the, we needed to get the highest quality graph because the body kind of, it, the, that cell used to be called an aplastic pluripotential adherent cell, meaning it didn't want to leave where it was. So when you go to draw marrow, if it's a really it, 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 invasive process, this, the body hides a lot of those cells because it knows it's going to need them for a rainy day. Your body wants to take care of your heart, your lungs, your gut, your head, your, your brain. But it, distant sites of chronic inflammatory change, it may not get kind of high enough on the scale of priorities for your body, depending on your overall st stage of health. Your body may have a lot of other things to do with those cells rather than help your chronically inflamed or painful knee or your rotator cuff tear, those kind of things. So what I wanted to do is, is obtain a way and develop a technique that allowed us to harvest those cells and kind of concentrate them and put them where they go. That's how the science of a lot of what we're doing now developed and the technology behind this little catheter that we developed was crucial in that. And that was, you know, way more than a decade ago now. But the if it wasn't easy and pretty non-painful to get bone marrow, we wouldn't have that many uses for it right now. So it would still be limited to a cancer patient or, you know, limb salvage, like cr critical limb ischemia, right? Like you're getting ready to cut your toes and feet off. Is there anything else that can make it better? There's great literature out there on using bone marrow stem cells to treat critical limb ischemia for a really long time. And if it was a really painful process to go through, it would still only be worth using it for that. We wouldn't be using it for hair and face and sexual wellness and, and chronic tendonitis, right? So I think we had to make it where it was easy to get to. So that was the beginning of the technology. Now, focus on 20 years later, now it's about 
the create and I tell people all the time you can have a really crummy graph and a really great technological way to make sure you get it where you're at, like the top kind of medical treatment. And even with the crummy graph, if it's delivered really well, you can still get a little bit of result. If you have the greatest quality graph and you don't have a great technology on the delivery side, you're injecting it in the subcutaneous tissue, not necessarily where it goes, you could still get a great result because you have a, you started with a great product, just delivered inadequately. But the best case scenario, if you're spending your money would be the best quality tissue graph made to treat what you're trying to treat and then a focused injection or the technology on the delivery of that graph to treat what it is you have and to put it where it needs to go. So there's a lot entailed in that. You need to make sure you make the right diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You need to make sure you have the technology available to get the graph where you want it. Mm -hmm. You need to have someone interpreting a data. You know, I tell patients all the time, the best decisions remain on the best data. Mm -hmm. You want someone that can interpret the data. Right. If, if, if I'm getting an MRI of your knee to look at it, I need to be able to look at it and tell you what, why you're hurt. The key with, I think, doing this from the most technologically way possible is to make sure you make really good diagnoses and then you figure out how to best apply the technology we have available to make people's lives better. Right. And so it's really about the catheter itself. I think it came down to ease and quality. Right, pretty easy. So it's a big long discussion, and we may do a whole cast someday on how how do we just deliver? How, how do we come up with the technology to even get to those cells? Why? What led to that? Because if we cover all that now, it'll be the whole podcast. Right. But I think that maybe maybe we do a podcast on that when it comes time to. But but I think what now what we're trying to do is say, okay, this is kind of what made it easy and separated it. So for me, it was the development of the bone marrow harvest process mm -hmm. to make it easy minimally invasive, not very painful, and what's the best quality tissue graph we could get, right? And that's the difference. And with the catheter, you get a much higher cell count, much less, you're not lysing so many cells, you're not calling plate to cell activation. So I think that that ease and quality started with that. Mm -hmm. And then it's about, well, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. So like, I know how to do an arthrogram in the shoulder. I know how to inject a knee. I know how to um, I know what getting a needle in a disc looks like for a discogram. I know how to do an epidural. I know how to do um, cervical injections. We know how, where the facets are. We know what mm -hmm. the intradural space looks like. So the technology being able to find all those, prove that you're there and make sure the graph gets there is because we have ultrasound, C-arm. Um, we, we've done plenty of arthrograms as, before we do the injection. I'll literally verify placement with dye to where, we're, where we want to be we're never injecting a knee with it bent. So from a- I know that's a, I know that's a hot topic for you. And, and for those of you just listening, there was a massive eye roll with that statement alone. Um, on that note, let, let's, let's stick with your, your technology. The catheter itself, right? It, it's pretty remarkable. And that traditionally things that we've heard about bone marrow harvesting, whether you saw it on, on television or a movie, you've heard other patients talk about how painful it is and how there's failures procedurally, things like that. So, so as far as the technology, what is it that you look for, right? What should our patients be at? asking of their providers or physicians, or why would they want to come and, and seek your expertise on something like this? I, here's the cool part, right? So I tell patients all the time, not facetiously, but to be funny that, you know, my job is I, what I really want in the clinic situations, I get to kind of show up and do the cool part. Yeah. Um, and the cool part is use of that catheter, right? And, and because I'm able to make access of your own biologic tissue that is responsible for the way you heal already. If you have a surgical wound 
it heals because your tissue mobilized a stem cell from capillary bed and mobilizing the secretome from, from your bone marrow um, to help you secrete the peptides, proteins, growth factors necessary to not only lower the inflammatory load of that area, but help it heal. So we now have a system to be able to get that best quality tissue and kind of put it where it goes. Mm -hmm. We have the best technology on showing that we're making sure we put it where it goes. We have a physician and a staff that's very focused on making sure we give you the most appropriate diagnosis so we know why you're hurting, right? So I can't, it's very difficult to treat someone's symptoms and pain if you don't know where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the best use of the graph comes with the most specific diagnosis we can make. So that's again, using the, all that technology available to us to do that on the diagnosis, the delivery, and then the graph we use. So I think from a technology standpoint, we always talk about technology of the graph, technology of the clinic, mm -hmm. training of the physician, right? Um, and the background behind the treatment and diagnosis. And so I say that is what, as a clinic, we kind of work best to deliver. I, I hope that's, man, that's a way roundabout answer to the question. But, but from my point of view, it's, it'd be really hard to be passionate about stuff that didn't work. Yeah. Right. And I look at myself as kind of a free agent on behalf of the patient. Like we're always... I don't have anything that I think of as so proprietary that I have to use it be more important than what I think is best or what I'm trying to use to make you better. So we have to figure out what's wrong with you. And then we have to figure out how best to treat it. And my goal is always just to have the coolest toys available to make use on your behalf. So, so speaking to those toys, right, where we're talking technology of the graft itself, we're talking technology behind the system that you're using to collect bone marrow, Talk to me about the technology of the clinic. You know, what are some of those things? Well, you mentioned visualization, you've mentioned diagnoses and other things. What are the tools in your tool belt that you feel make this whole process a success? Yeah, so this is what Mike does really well. I throw all this stuff out there and I leave a really big wake and Mike kind of tightens the wake up a little bit. So for me, there's a couple easy things. Number one, there are videos out there that drive me crazy. If someone puts an ultrasound to your knee, say they're gonna do an ultrasound guide injection. They put an ultrasound there, they look at it and then they take that away and they stick a needle in you. That is not ultrasound guided injection. An ultrasound guided injection is not only to look at something, it's to see the needle go into the space that you've just delineated mm -hmm. and to watch the injection happen in the place you're trying to put it. That's an ultrasound guided injection. And for that to happen, the ultrasound still needs to be touching your skin while you put the needle in. Otherwise so it's not live. Otherwise it's not, you don't know for sure that it's where the picture you just took is. Right? You're trying to make a three-dimensional image and decision on a one-dimensional representation. So you're trying to be able... So if you're going to do ultrasound guided, hold the ultrasound and get it in the tissue and watch the needle go right into where you want it. You can see the area of the biggest disease and then you deliver fluid there. So we do that. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people that claim to do that are doing it more for the billable side than the helpful side. Do I need to use ultrasound to put a needle in your knee? No because I know how to get a needle in your knee because I see the inside of a knee all day, every day for the last 26 years in surgery, right? So, but when the second, so when we inject a knee, the knee's out straight, so I can move your kneecap around. And what's published is if I put that needle superior lateral patella, 
I'm way more likely in the joint than you can ever get in the joint with a knee bend, with a needle. You're in Hoffa's fat pad, you're in the prepatellar space, you're, you're somewhere, but the chances that you're in the knee, what's been published means is very, very low, way below 50% accuracy on, on getting, even with ultrasound, even with C-arm, if the knee is bent, your accuracy of getting that fluid actually in the joint. And that's only important if you're treating joint space arthritis, intracapsular inflammatory change, mm -hmm. symptomatic synovitis, you wanna be where those problems lie. That's within the joint, right? If you're injecting the ACL for a partial thickness tear, you know where you wanna be? In the ACL. Can you find the ACL with a little dye using C-arm or ultrasound or both? Yep. Can you find it with the knee bent just sticking a needle where you think it should be? Maybe. Do you want maybe that you're spending money on? No, right? So I think that having that available, C-arm, like we use live fluoroscopy with dye to verify placement if we're doing in the disc, in a facet, in a joint space, within the biceps tendon, within an ACL, because we want C-arm, live fluoroscopy as a guidance for that device. And so we're not just taking a picture, taking it to the room and me trying to remember what the picture looked in my head to get that needle there. We're live time looking at where the needle goes mm -hmm. and watching fluid disperse in that space. Um, well, let, let's take a second and talk about that a little bit. For those that aren't aware or, or maybe patients aren't, aren't familiar, what is the dye used for, right? If, I, if I'm looking at a two-dimensional image and you're, you're saying we're live and you've got a needle in my knee, in my shoulder, in my joint, why the use of dye, right? It's, it's So because it can look like you're in a space that you're not. Mm -hmm. And if you put a little bit of radiographic dye in there, which the cell is not toxic to the tissue, um, steroids and local are all toxic to the tissue. You can take, you, you lice every live cell in that culture with the drop. So, but with a little bit of dye, you're just verifying placement. The shoulder joint's really tight in a lot of people. That's one of the things we treat with cells is dramatic capsular adhesive capsulitis, people that haven't been able to raise their arm in years. If I inject cells within the capsule of the shoulder, break all that loose, so that it doesn't just come right back after you manipulate their arm around, you can lower the secondary inflammatory tissue and scar, injected by light. So if I'm gonna do that, I want all the tissue to be where I want it. So we put a needle in that space and put a little dye to verify that it's intracapsular. It's called an arterial, it, it's, it, it's literally an arthrogram, right? But we're not charging for the arthrogram. We're not sending the patient to an arthrogram of the shoulder mm -hmm. where they put the dye where it goes and then pull the needle out and ship the patient to our office. We wanna put the dye right where we wanna go, verify where it's at, leave the needle, inject the graft where the needle is, right? Doesn't sound that complicated of a process, but it's amazing to me still, 2023, still not being done right most places. Well, I've, I've been a part of uh, quite a few surgeries with you. I know Hannah's observed quite a few, and, and the thing that I found is, is is quite profound to be honest is the placement of the die right you're, you're in a shoulder and navigating down through for those that have never seen a procedure or experienced one if you're going down through the top of my shoulder and trying to find the very inside of my shoulder you have to get around a lot of objects there's a lot of training involved there's a lot of technique uh, all the t's a lot of things with today. big latin names yes is what we say exactly. yeah. uh, just the exposure getting down to the surface and then injecting dye so so to, to sum up that portion you're using dye to to basically 
confirm exactly where the cells are going. You're confirming everything that we're there for. That's the placement. That's our target zone. So once everything well, and is and we develop again, we develop the technique for doing this, right? So, yeah. so if you if, and, and a lot of people watching or listening, this has probably had an arthrogram or an injection in their shoulder. If it was done from the back or from the front or from the side, you that hurt. Yeah. If it was done in the technique that I designed, we're taking a needle right through the top of your shoulder, through your AC joint, through the subdeltoid bursa, through the rotator cuff, directly intra-articular in the joint, and then proving we're there. There's not one vessel, nerve, dangerous thing to hit with the approach we, we use. And I can hit all of those spaces with one pokal. I can put a little dye in the capsule, inject in the capsule. I can pull the dye back and inject it. I can inject in directly at top of the glenoid into the biceps tendon. I can inject into the biceps tendon as it runs through the groove. I can inject into the lateral aspect of the supraspinatus just by bringing your arm up. I can inject a little bit of the tissue into the AC joint at the end of this to free that up so you're not so painful. With that one technique, we found a way to therapeutically treat and administer graft to about 10 different targets in the shoulder where we're wanting to put the graft not spending 30 minutes of an arthrogram. You've seen me do how many arthrograms in clinic, well, including on you, right? So hundreds, hundreds. Yeah. It, it takes how long? Just to get the dye in less than 30 seconds. Yeah. So it, it's literally one picture, palpate, wash it off, take a, a 22 gauge, two and a half inch um, needle, go right down through that joint picture. Looks like it's good, but the dye it's there we're ready. That's, it's, it's about, I mean, it's less than three minutes, right? Yeah. So anyone that's had an arthrogram in a hospital situation using CRM guidance and everything else, or even worse, like CT guidance, where the, the amount of radiation you're getting is like a chest x-ray every day for a year. Um, that took probably 30 minutes and really hurt. I've experienced both. <laughs> because they're going from the, they're doing it in the way that people would do it for imaging and study, but not for the way that we would do it from a clinical standpoint as a surgeon, like I want to avoid all the bad things. Guess what? A lot of bad things to hit from the go in the back. That's why they have to be more careful with what they're doing. A lot of bad things to hit when you go through the front and it hurts, not anything I'm going to do. So you, because of surgical anatomy, we were able to design some of the techniques and the administration of graft in a way lower morbidity way of delivering it. And that comes whether we're putting, we've never done, you know, we, Mike sent me a video this week of where it said they did a back injection. They, oh my gosh, I got stem cells in my back. I'm so, they literally, the guy's leaning over, they take a needle, they prep his back and they inject it in the soft tissues of his back for his disc disease. I might've done that intentionally just wow. to get a response. You, talk about it like a, it's not that easy to, well, let me, let me take that back. Um, it, it's not a lot of topics that I will get so passionately um, disruptive with is I will something, someone calling something it's not. Yeah. If you're just sticking a needle in someone's back, if you if someone's knees bent on a table and they're sticking a needle in your knee, if you're getting a shoulder injection where they're injecting from the outside in a deltoid without ultrasound, skin, they can't say they're injecting your shoulder, they're injecting your knee, they're injecting your back. You're just injecting some soft tissue and all soft tissue is the same. Now, if that's where the disease is, so if it's in the infrapatar tendon and you have bad infrapatar tendonitis, great. That's the way to do that injection. If there, if it's deltoid tendonitis and they're sticking in your deltoid, okay, great. As long as you're sticking it in the most tendonotic 
painful, diseased portion of the tissue, you stand a way better chance of it working. But if your target is low pain across the back, if they have any radiculopathy, if they have some facets that are tender, if they have paravertebral muscle atrophy, your goal is to treat those targets specifically. Most back pain, from our experience, after hundreds and hundreds of these injections being done, um, is that if someone has an annular tear across their back, they have back pain and disc failure at that level. Mm -hmm. Not just a black disc on MRI. They need to have a bright spot on a stir. That sequence, if it's described as an annular tear, annular tears as a cause for low back pain are kind of low-hanging fruit with what we do. Annular tears as a cause of back pain in a traditional surgery practice are a disaster because you have one solution for that. And they'll still send you for epidural steroids, even though there's never been literature published for epidural steroids for back pain. It's published for radiculopathy and nerve irritation. So if you have rip roaring pain down your leg, probably have an epidural before I did anything else. So it could at least take enough of my pain away to give me some decision-making time. But if it's just low back pain, epidural steroids have never been shown to be efficacious in that. And there's no papers showing that this is the route you should go, but everyone still does it. Or they, they tell you you need a fusion. And the, the literature on fusions with, I mean, first of all, we're talking about a, a quarter million dollar procedure. We're talking about on average three to six month recovery. We're talking about a procedure that a significant portion of the people have it never returned to the workforce. Yeah. Um, we're talking about uh, long-term narcotics, neuroleptic drugs. Most patients, but uh, during their fusion, prior to their fusion, and for months after, have two handfuls of medications. And none of them are supplements or nutritional aids. Or they're things that, that hurt you in some other way, right? So with the injection of cells into the disc space, not just a little needle into your back, but actually injecting dye into the disc, proving you're where you want to be, Proving that the disc is bad. A discogram disrupts, it leaks, it causes pain, concordant pain because the patients are in the twilight. So that's a positive discogram. If they have a positive discogram, the needle's already there. Now, without pulling the needle, I'm going to inject something therapeutic into that needle mm -hmm. that can help address what we just diagnosed, which is the use of combination of the biologic products that we use live cellular allograph and yes. autograph that can make a difference in your body's ability to heal that up. The reason your body just doesn't make the best use of all that tissue and heal it up all the time on its own, because it has more important fish to fry, right? If now, if I can get you really healthy and, and people say, man, I got really healthy and a lot of my back pain went away. Great. You know why? Because your back finally reached a high enough priority for your body to where you could kind of make a difference. If you're, if you're, if you have heart disease, if you have diabetes, if you have all these other, if you're, if you're obese, if you're metabolically broken because you're insulin resistant, if you're having a big chronic inflammatory stage, you have bad cortisol levels. We have to, we, we can help address all that too. And your body can do a better job of helping you heal. But if your body's spending all of its best cell content on treating all of that, some of the things that cause people a lot of pain and disability never really get on the priority list for your physiology right? That's kind of the science behind what we're doing is we're trying to help your body do what it would want to do if it was young and healthy. And it, these are the cells and the, the, the environment that it's going to try to create lower inflammatory load, better regenerative peptides and proteins, help your body heal. So long answer, but, but it's, we're going to direct that to the disease tissue. It requires a little bit of work when we're, we're, 
putting the cells where they need it. Epidural. Like I'm a firm believer with neck. There's a video Mike sent me, Justin. Mike had really twisted me off a couple times this week before we recorded because he wanted to see if we could just get me on tape, just like throwing stuff, I think. It's, but, it's the perfect timing to do it a day or two before we film, just because I know that I want people to understand and feel the passion that you have for this. It, it's not just a hobby for you. This is a lifelong passion and endeavor. So sometimes poking the bear just a little bit, to use a cheesy phrase, yeah. is a lot of fun for me. I can't help it. Uh, well, I know he just kind of like spins me like a top and just kind of sits back and like, yeah. It's not in a watch. You, you, give, you give me far more credit than I deserve. My friend. Well, I will tell you. So he sends me a video this week. You got chronic neck pain, right? And they show some lady stand there and they take a little alcohol swab and they stick some cells in the neck. And they're treating yeah. they're treating the degenerative disc disease mm -hmm. in the neck that way, right? Now experiencing you in the OR, I will never have anybody come near me with a needle without a C arm. Like yeah. you clearly don't know yeah. where you're going. Well, if, if I'm treating <laughs> if I'm treating your neck, if you have cervical disc disease, you have any radiculopathy, you have trigger points between your shoulder blades, you have hot spots, you're getting weakness in your arm. Doc, Dr. Brown, last part of his pec, his triceps, was having to what do you think a little bit of the even if it was the best cells possible? Put him in the subcutaneous tissue of his neck. Was it gonna, was it gonna help that? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it hurt him, <laughs> yeah. right? So at no least, downside. at least, they wouldn't hurt him, yeah. right? So if if someone's using biologics and they're not putting him where they go, they're at least not hurting you other than probably financially, yeah. right? Well, so there big, is some financial repercussions of those kind of decisions because if you're gonna spend your money, I want to get value. I don't mind how much something costs if I get value from it. Like I know I'm not gonna go buy a Harley for three grand. Yeah. And is not, there, not is there a bike I want to ride that's that maybe if it's an old cool bike and I got a great deal on it. But for the most part, I get, I want, there are things I'm, that are worth paying for to me. There are things that aren't. Uh, any money you spend on something that didn't work was completely wasted, even if it wasn't very much. That means you wasted all of it. But if you're doing the right thing, the economic disadvantages may be involved, but at least they didn't hurt someone. But if we treat cervical disc disease, we mm -hmm. treat neuro neuropathy, if we treat people that can't hardly turn their neck. Now, will I maybe inject some tissue and subcutaneously? Sure, I may put some Botox at the top of the cervical triangle. I may put some you Botox in a trigger point because it can augment mm -hmm. that. I may block a little bit of a facet. But for the most part, when someone is scheduled for a biologics injection in the neck, you're asleep. Mm -hmm. We put an epidural catheter in the epidural space of your neck. We put dye to diagnose and confirm what we saw on MRI and what I found on physical examination to determine where is your pain coming from? What levels are really involved? Mm -hmm. We confirm that with dye through the epidural to make sure we're where we want. And then I'm breaking loose the adhesions and inflammatory change around those nerves in epidural space with a quality tissue graph that can't hurt it. Steroids and local hurt that tissue. The tissue grafts, the biologics don't hurt that tissue. You can mechanically break loose those adhesions. You can push it out of the inflamed standpoint. So the, the amount of neck pain you have, the stability of your neck, the headaches, the, the arm and hand pain, a lot of that, the neck doesn't need all the room it had. God gave you extra, right? Like the, there's, it's not like a little bit of a disc hernia makes people like you have to have surgery to get that space back. No, you don't. The body's meant to continue to function as it wears out. You have a lot of extra room, but 
we don't have to restore all the room they had normally. I just have to get rid of the inflammatory load and get it with that nerve's blood supply isn't interrupted and it's not kind of mistriggering from a pain response. So you get your, your, your pain to go away and, and your weakness to, to, to start to resolve, right? That is done because we're not just injecting little tissue sub Q and calling it a cervical neck injection. That, that one drives me crazy. Sorry. I knew um, that was going to say So he, did, he sent me a video this week of someone injecting a neck. More, more than one. And I know what they're charging for, for that neck injection. And, and they're not in the neck. I mean, they're in the subcutaneous tissue of the neck, which if you got a big cervical triangle thing and I put a little Botox there, you can take care of that for $10 a unit or something silly, right? Yeah. But um, if you're injecting someone for chronic neck pain, I think that's probably not the most specific of tailored treatments. Yeah. If you're injecting subcutaneous tissue on the back. Now, if you have paravertebral atrophy and SI mm -hmm. joint, I can palpate that fine. I don't mind putting some graft there subcutaneously because it can work, right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to get into that tissue. But even then, I'm going to use an ultrasound mm -hmm. to show that I'm in the paravertebral muscle at the segment that I think is causing you the pain mm -hmm. because we've looked at your films together. We've had a physical diagnosis and I know what mm -hmm. I'm treating. I think I want to backtrack and touch on looking at films and like your technique behind reading the MRI no, that's, that's and diagnosing the, the correctly. Most painful part of your job. <laughs> yeah, right? it is. Yes. <laughs> now, when people apply, and probably a third of what we do, people have to know is probably from not only out of state, but probably half of that even is out of country. And so what Hannah does is coordinates those people sending an application in um, with films and a diagnosis or at least some kind of history. And then we reach out, uh, make sure we have the history down. Dr. Phillips will interview a patient. But I'll go through all their films and the diagnosis and their symptoms because I don't want anyone flying in and me telling them, like, there's nothing we have, right? So what our job is, is to try to come up with, based on your symptoms and based on these films, what is your most likely diagnosis? And what Hannah has seen way too often to make her comfortable um, is a, a, a one, two-line, one-paragraph MRI report that is just completely wrong. It's not even like they're looking at the same films. Mm -hmm. So someone making a decision on that, and then we just had that happen this last week, mm -hmm. where the lady's already had a knee scope. She's had uh, injectables for um, visco supplementation. Mm -hmm. She's had a couple steroid shots, mm -hmm. and her pain is dramatically worse than it was mm -hmm. because they're not treating her diagnosis. Because her diagnosis wasn't on the MRI report. Mm -hmm. The MRI showed uh, mild focal bony edema, uh, early arthrosis, and a, and a stable intrameniscal tear. So they scoped her based on those, and she got worse. They put steroids in her knee. She's got worse. They put mm -hmm. visceral supplementation in her knee. Got worse. Because that's not the patient's diagnosis. The reason that patient is hurting is because they have avascular necrosis, so their medial femoral condyle. They've had multiple back surgeries in the past, lots of steroids to help treat that. And now she has death of the medial femoral condyle, cut AVN, that's readily apparent on the MRI when, when we look at it. Mm -hmm. And then when I looked at her MRI and said, because the thought is, is this some patient that we even have anything for? They've already done all this stuff. When I look at the MRI, the answer is, well, yeah, we, we have something that actually works for what she has because we can tailor her treatment to that. Like she needed, she needs a subchondroplasty. She needs some of the, we, we have a, a magnesium sulfate, like a bone cement thing that actually is osteogenic. But if you had, we reconstitute it with your bone marrow and inject it in the condyle, it'll heal. Like you can heal avascular necrosis. And if we, if, since that's the reason for her pain, and we saw that on the MRI, but we looked at the MRI. Her, the radiologist was really afraid to commit yeah. because I know probably that radiologist works with those doctors a lot mm -hmm. and didn't want to come out and say, hey, 
she has avascular necrosis and she didn't have avascular necrosis before you scoped her knee. And now that she's had this other MRI, now she has avascular necrosis because in the patient's mind, maybe the scope caused that scope didn't cause that probably, but it didn't treat it either. So is that a combination of steroid injections and treatments, scopes, just, just additional trauma? What I know there's tons of people that are listening and, and watching that, that have been through this, right? You've had your first knee scope or your first back surgery, and, and that, that implies one of many. So if we're just treating symptoms, what's the end result well, in know, particular, versus total healing? Yeah, well, in particular, this patient was upset because the pre-op MRI showed they have this tear the post-op MRI at six months shows they still have this tear, like the surgeon missed the tear. The tear is not the patient's problem. And the tear is intra-articular. It doesn't articulate with the meniscal surface, and it's stable, and it's small. That wasn't even in the same side of the knee where the patient's pain is from. Hmm. So, the, so now the patient, based on these reports, is even mad at her surgeon because he did the wrong thing. Like, they did the surgery for my tear, and my tear is still there. And that's why it hurt. They weren't right on any of that. The tear wasn't probably why they hurt it the first time it was addressed in the way medicine will address the mri result and that goes back to your billable versus yeah yeah, yeah. well and, and look most guys are handicapped you got to remember every physician in the world pretty much at this point is employed by somebody yeah like they're especially if you're taking directives from the narrative they have you have a flow chart of treatment options Biologics is rarely on that flow chart of treatment options, even though it should be. I mean, I would argue that there's, you know, we end up being the doctor last resort for a lot of people. Instead, it needs to be the first thing they should have done, like a partial thinnest tear and rotator cuff, early, early arthritis pain. Um, as long as you're not, what's, what's our, what's the, what I tell you all the time to tell a patient when they call and say, can they just put stem cells on my knee? What's the one symptom I want to know? In the catching, clicking, or popping? Catching, clicking, <laughs> locking, and popping, right? Yes. So if a patient says, I want cells put in my knee, but every time I twist or turn, it feels like something gets caught, it locks up. Am I more likely to put cells in that patient's knee? No, no because right? you're going to clean it up first. Because they have a mechanical first. symptom, yeah. right? So that means that's the patient that I'll make get an MRI. Mm -hmm. Because we don't make everyone get an MRI. If you just have joint line pain, you're standing x-rays, so you have a little bit of joint Tennis space collapse. And on physical exam, thing. yeah, if on physical exam, you're not having clicking, catching, locking, or giving way, then you probably, it's not about an unstable meniscal tear. It's not about a lot of debris in your knee. Mm. I, have don't, I have no problem just injecting that. Mm. But if a patient is clicking, catching, locking, giving way, I'm not going to waste your money sticking a bunch of cells into a knee that has a big loose fragment or a big unstable mm. meniscal tear. We're going to get an MRI of your knee and tailor the treatment to your what's causing your pain? What's mm -hmm. your disease, right? Like modern medicine is based on disease treatment, not health and mm -hmm. treatment of the patient. What I wanna, what we strive really hard to do is treat what's wrong with the patient because focused delivery of treatment to the appropriate diagnosis mm -hmm. is really the way to get someone better. Beautiful, right? yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you we, have to answer that question all the time. All the time. <laughs> well, they, they, this, this doctor says I have to have a total knee. Well, I'm glad you called us <laughs> because that yeah. may not be true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I've seen the inside of the knee more I mean, than any surgeon under 60. More than knees right. though, back fusions. No, the amount no. of people I get that I just need a second opinion. They see I need a back fusion. I need three level desk three, three level, level Okay, yes. so just so you know, three level fusions should really kind of not be a thing for many people. <laughs> a three level fusion, what's, what's published out there, the good to excellent result and turn to the workforce is really, 
really low. Like a surge, even with rotator cuff, like we're talking, no one has respect for rotator cuff surgery, but all of them talk about how much it hurts and how a lot of people don't get better because what's published is a 30% failure rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no doctor that's going to do your rotator cuff surgery goes, hey, I want to do this big surgery. You need to know 30% of the time it doesn't work. Makes my heart drop whenever right? they say these things. I'm like, well, I'm glad that so you're here. <laughs> so that actually leads me into the, the the part of the show that I really want to hone in on at the end here is, is the training. You know, we've talked about the why. We've talked about the technology of, of the graft itself and the draw method and the catheter. We've we've discussed your technique and and why you do the things you do in, in backs, shoulders, and knees. Where does it come from, right? What's the difference fundamentally? And listen, we're, we're big fans and proponents of... of stem cells and the use of it we don't like calling well, it I, I would, yeah, medicine. I, I, and i wouldn't even call them stem cells but, at this point because what a lot that's one of the terms i hate the most now yeah we've talked about that right yeah. is so because why? because because when people say something's a stem cell it very rarely is yeah we still get a lot of patients that have mm -hmm. paid someone for prp and come in and say they yeah. did stem cells for me mm -hmm. no they didn't mm -hmm. right I mean, is there maybe some stem cells in prp maybe if you have some in your circulating peripheral blood at that mm -hmm. time is that a stem cell solution in our clinic? No. Do we do do I do I think PRP is a bad thing? Absolutely yeah. not. Do do I think PRP can help a lot of people? Absolutely. Do I think it's a stem cell product? No. Is it is it a is it a great anti-inflammatory agent? Mm -hmm. Is it a biologic mm -hmm. that your body knows what to do with? Absolutely. Can it help you more than a steroid and local? Yes. yes. It's very cost effective. That's pretty it's much it. It's a very it. cost effective yes. treatment. Now we have a more cost-effective treatment to me, but even PRP, let's talk about PRP even then. So we have to, so what most people even call PRP <laughs> is PRP. He's getting stressed out because we're right? at the 40-minute yeah. mark. So, <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, clock. There's just, there's just this giant clock on the, on a, on a screen in front oh, of us. Oh, that's cracking me up um, the, What most people call PRP isn't even PRP. Yeah. The definition of PRP, and Mike's going to tease me because I scraped the desk. The definition of PRP <laughs> is that it has to be five times more concentrated than whole blood. Yeah. If they're taking 10 cc's of blood and they're going to spin it down in an office space centrifuge, again, that's back to the in-office technology we have available that most people don't. By the way. Right. By, oh, by the way. <laughs> kind of important. If you're taking 10 cc's of blood and you're giving you back five cc's, is there any way the physics in the world work? To where that could be five times more concentrated than your whole blood. It's diluted whole blood, right? It's it, yeah. it's it's dehydrated whole blood, mm -hmm. right? So is that is injecting whole blood in your wound going to make you dramatically mm -hmm. better? No. PRP should be five times more concentrated on a very specific set of growth factors that's very much curated through a buffy coat process through a real centrifuge that takes 60 cc's of blood mm -hmm. minimum mm -hmm. to create a three to six centimeter injectable autograph that's prp yeah so if they didn't take 60 cc's of blood and have a good and it filter. didn't take at least 20 <laughs> minutes if they just put in little test tubes and put yeah. in a little <laughs> centrifuge on the table you may have paid for prp they may have told you that's prp or stem cells <laughs> or stem, <laughs> stem cells, cells yes oh, <laughs> ah, right but that is not prp and it's certainly not a stem cell product now the, then the other thing people talk about so i hate when someone comes in and say oh i had stem cells and didn't help okay well Let's uh, you know, I feel like Let's the, unpack it. I, I, my favorite show right now is a show called Unstable, and there's a, a crazy psychiatrist on the show, and he always says, let's unpack that. Right? <laughs> so let's unpack that. Is this right. a stem cell product? Okay, Amnion. Could Amnion have been a stem cell product? Sure. Is there a lot of great Amnion products out there? 
Yes. Is there a lot of bad amniotic products out there? Yes. Mm. Is there a lot of dead tissue graft, reconstituted powder that they add something to that they're calling a stem cell product? Yep. Is it a stem cell product? Nope. Are they is giving there, you a difference in did, the... Did they tell no. you what it was? <laughs> right? So I hate the analogy of, oh, I had stem cells and they didn't work. Okay. First of all, I don't even know what they were treating. Did they? Right? Like, what's, what's, where's your pain coming from? Well, I don't know. My knee hurts. Okay. You know how many people we see that have knee pain, quad pain, that it's a disc at three, four? The amount of people we see a that lot. come in thinking they need a hip replacement have a disc at four, five. Shoulder mm -hmm. pain. Shoulder pain have a disc mm -hmm. in their neck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, arm and hand pain that they have a disc in their neck and they, they have carpal tunnel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, getting the diagnosis right is key first. So first of all, let's first decide was what you have even amendable to the stem, to the stem cell treatment that didn't mm -hmm. work? Number next, what do they call a stem cell? Is it some dead freeze right amnion? That's not a stem cell. Is it is it a 10 cc draw out mm -hmm. of a centrifuge? Even is it even a 60 cc draw done correctly? Is it a stem cell product? No. It, if it's not bone marrow, and if it's not a live frozen amnion, not a stem cell product. And we won't even call amnion products stem cell products in the office or yeah, here no. because it's a postnatal tissue graft. Mm -hmm. Are there stem cells in postnatal tissue graft? Yes. Is the only thing that you should legally be allowed to call a stem cell in the U.S. from bone marrow? Yes. Mm -hmm. So when we do a bone marrow harvest, mm -hmm. is that the difference? Because we're using a validated draw technique through thousands of draws. We're using a validated device to separate those cells out. And then I'm using a educationally honed down years of experience type of technique to get the cells where they go. You had a stem cell injection. Yeah. Did that stem cell injection, when people say, is, what's the chance it doesn't work? Okay, okay there, there's zero chance it doesn't make some difference in the environment. Is it enough to get you over the hump with this? We don't, I don't know, right? Is this the least morbid way of getting you the highest quality tissue graph and delivering it to the most quantitated, honed down, best diagnosis I can give you because the best treatments are based on the best diagnoses. The best diagnoses are based on the best data and then the person interpreting that data for you. So I think there's a lot that goes into everything that we do that is in here, not out here, but it's the in here part and the in here part for all of us, I think, right. that mm -hmm. is the difference between the treatment of a patient. It's mm -hmm. it, we yes, we want to come up with the use of the biologics. Yes, when people talk about stem cell injections, my name comes up in that conversation a lot because of the bone marrow side of what we do, and the twenty year history of doing it, mm -hmm. and the fact that we developed the system to help make that yeah. easy and of high quality. We, there's a bunch of difference, even when someone says I, had bone marrow. Yeah, high quality and the combination. Where it was drawn, the how it was drawn. Combination is something you can unique. You get a really crummy bone marrow draw. Mm -hmm. And and Hannah's right when she talks about, because I'm not afraid to use bone marrow in the face of amnion. Mm -hmm. And I don't think bone marrow is the answer for everyone for everything. Mm -hmm. As you get older, you have less stem cells and the ones you have can't do as much. And I, every patient that's ever saw me has heard that. Yeah, But it's still the cell that kind of kicks it off. It's the brains of the operation. 
It's the but one familiar time, with your body too. You, know, you need some young, healthy, stupid cells because they're really <laughs> yeah. prolific. Right? They'll secrete yeah. a lot of peptides and protein so your cells can kind of manage the storm mm. better. Yeah. And and because and now there's some great data to show that the stromal tissue of the amnion, so a digested collagen matrix mm. type of graph, because it'll stay where you put it more, that stromal matrix injecting that with your marrow makes those cells do way better for way longer. Right where it in needs to go. In a way more specific target mm. where, where we're trying to treat, right? And so I think... You know, I, while there's no one answer for everyone and there's no one graph for everyone and there's no one solution, is there, the, what's the least morbid way of delivering care for something that gives you the best opportunity for your body to do what it's trying to do, which is heal? I, I think that the use of the biologics with the appropriate backing technology and training is probably the way to do that. Wow. Right? That was and, all really good. Man, that's yeah, we that, literally that's have really... about, there's, there's literally like five podcasts on each one of the topics we're trying to yeah. talk about. We're going to have to do one about the catheter. We're going to have to do one about the technology of the clinics that are, that are doing this. We're not a strip mall with a nurse practitioner putting an ultrasound to your knee, pulling it away. We're not someone doing it unsterile. Like the amount of times I see someone spraying ethyl chloride on a joint and sticking a needle in it drives me kind of crazy either because ethyl chloride is not sterile. But it's anyway, so we're, we're never going to do that. But... We're going to have to do a podcast just on the technology of clinics. We're going to have to do a podcast on Amnion, right? Like yeah. we use, we use just, a, is just there Amnion. one graph that's available for everybody? No. <laughs> no. We, we use about five different styles of graphs. Yeah, I'm about to say. Can, <laughs> there should be multiple took, options look, of graphs to when use. When my former business partner and I were together, who is really famous business guy, but not a doctor doctor. He has a, a PhD in business um, from a Caribbean university. The The... That, when we were together, our goal was one amnion graft that's everything for everyone. And they sell that stuff by the drop, right? Is that the best graft to put in someone's knee? No. no. If I could get a digested collagen matrix, which is the reason why we worked together, we developed a way to make patches of little amnion, live mm -hmm. tissue graft, to where we're injecting a patch of stromal tissue with bone marrow. Mm -hmm. Because that amniotic stroma is kind of magic, right? Do I want, can you put that IV? No. Is that what I would put around a nerve? Probably not. I mean, so really, I don't think there's one amnion graph. I think there's five or six different types of graph. If you really want to give people best bang for their buck, that you need to be able to tailor it based on where you're going. And that's right? a whole and topic. We're not afraid, that's yeah, we're a not whole afraid to use that. episode right there. I'm not, yes. afraid, I'm not yeah. afraid of postnatal tissue graph. Our no. clinic is actually licensed as a tissue bank. We have tissue freezers there. Everything's minus 80. So that's probably one whole topic. Mm. The, the training I've been through, like, I, I mean, obviously... We all hate talking about me. No, no, uh, no. But, but <laughs> I'm an easy person to make Good fun line. of because I'm kind of an acquired taste. But but if you're hurt, you like me usually because um, you fake but, but That's the only way you get to know me, really, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just a lot. Like it's, it's like trying to drink from a fire hose sometimes. And, and well, you I, are and, a and blessing to the world, no matter what. Yeah, I, I know. Look, I know that it's, it's <laughs> you're every, a lot. Every, but... every, everything that has a big upside has a little bit of a downside, <laughs> yeah. right? So the, the tolerance is is the people that are around me for a long time have developed a, a Wade filter, um, because which which is great because my goal is always to try to educate everyone on as much as possible in as little bit of time and I know that that's not always the most appropriate. Listen, there, there's not it, a but. person and I do actually I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. So yes, we 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 poke fun at one another. We've worked together a long time. We've got a lot of respect for uh, everybody's role, everybody's passions. The thing I want to say is the greatest compliment as a healthcare provider you can have is patients that come back and patients that 
tell their family and they tell their friends and and it becomes um, just a natural part of the community around that provider right and and it's yeah. people referring one another saying hey this this really benefited my life and and there's a lot of stories about that everybody I know has a has a dr. Wade McKenna story and even here at the studio right our, our first tour of the studio we're, we're walking around and the man couldn't make it 30 feet from the conference room where we got pitched on on these studios which we're very happy with uh all the way to the door uh it was 30 feet and he stopped to to address somebody that was walking with a strange gait and it was a, a nice lady and and hopefully uh, we'll see her in our office here pretty quick um, but it's just one of those things that's just who you are as a person and i want people that listen and watch the show to catch that that's our goal is is not just to talk about stem cells and technology but to talk about your training talk about the expertise the passion that you have so that they can catch a little piece of that and understand it and and understand who you are and what motivates you and i think that's really the magic of what we're trying to accomplish yeah mm -hmm. uh, here's a cool part well, again i said a lot too Maybe maybe the the podcast could have been called. Here's the cool part, um, but next one, uh, next yeah, one. yeah, next one. So, but but I've taken care of Hannah's family, mm -hmm. lots of them. Not my entire to my grandparents, yeah. my grandparents uh, on both sides, for, mom and dad side, right? and way my dad and mom. We knew each other. Way before um, I've taken care of not only Mike's direct family, yeah. and Mike, but also his in laws, yeah, right that came down from Washington State, right? So I, the people that are around me talking about the results and passion, this isn't because they're being paid to do that. <laughs> this is because they feel passionate and apart because they're passionate and apart, but, but they're not, they're vested in the process. Yeah. Like their family has seen results. If we were doing something without results, I would not be injecting all of my friends, their families, mm -hmm. their the people flying their parents in from other states, people bringing people mm -hmm. in from way out of town mm -hmm. that I've taken care of for 20 years with the biologics and, and, and continue to make progress in their life on multiple different body sites. It's a beautiful thing. Right? So I always tell patients like, just send in everything. At least you'll get a treatment or a you know diagnosis that you probably haven't heard of yet. And you're going to get a root of the problem because he actually diagnoses, breaks down, gives everything laid out. And it's unlike any other doctor is going to give you of a description. The key is we just don't want to leave stones unturned. No, There's a lot of things that are great really thing. easy. The patient that we did yesterday, and we'll leave with this probably, but we have a patient yesterday for three years hasn't been able to raise her arms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's been, and she has seen multiple doctors. Her parents search for anyone that could to see her. Mm -hmm. She's in her thirties. Yeah, uh, out she's of backstroke. One side's bad, and her a good side wouldn't move either. Mm -hmm. um, four weeks ago, we saw her because her they they'd given up on the stroke side, but her good side for the last three years, they've had her four different doctors. She can't raise her arm; it hurts all the time. Can't roll over on it. Five minutes with her asleep. The use of tissue allograph in the shoulder, break loosening some of the scar, moving her shoulder around, putting a subcutaneous tissue graft underneath the deltoid and within the joint. In recovery room, she has a picture of her holding up both arms for the first time in three years. Mm -hmm. Because we treated this arm four weeks ago, her pain relief was so dramatic, they brought her back this week for yeah. me to do her, her stroke side. Yeah. 
And, and her stroke like, side hasn't moved in five years. They came there like, yeah, put us on next day. We're here to do the same thing again. Two other arms say it's worked so well. Because this worked so good, right? <laughs> yeah. So in the recovery room, it's not just about her holding her good arm up this last week. It's her taking both arms up to call a touchdown. And I made a joke. I was like, hey, been a bit since you've been able to call a touchdown, huh? I thought she 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 got pretty tearful. Her What I didn't know is her husband was a football coach forever. No, I didn't know that either. So yeah. calling a touchdown for most people is kind of an unthink. If you're standing on the sidelines watching your husband coach football, throwing your arms in the air when there's a score is kind of just a thing, right? Yeah. She hasn't been able to do that in three years. It mm. took five minutes. Mm. And she had seen, she spent a lot of money, or her insurance company has spent a lot of money on healthcare that didn't help her. Mm. So a little bit on something that made a big difference was probably way better use of her time and energy, right? Yeah. Well, guys, this was a great episode. I hope all of our listeners gained some insight and knowledge and feel good about all the patients we've shared stories about. And I think I'm going to cut it off here. If everybody else would like to sign off. All right. I, I just want to tell everyone, thank you for your trust and, and the kindness of our patients is kind of what made this even possible, but more importantly, probably necessary um, because I can't spend two hours or hopefully over the next year, you know, 20 hours explaining everything to someone in the clinic and we can here. Yeah. All well, right. This was a great show. Thank you both. All right. We'll see you next week. See you next Thanks week, so. guys.